Well, good morning. It is a joy and an honor to be able to be with you this morning to break the word of life. I uh, want to say a word of thanks and appreciation to your senior pastor, Mike, for the invitation to share this pulpit and be here today. Uh, I want to say a word of thanks and appreciation to you at Danville Centenary for the use of your church in so many ways in our new Bluegrass District. And especially thank you for loaning Pat and Roxy Bennett to us as our lay leaders for the Bluegrass District. They have been a joy and a delight uh, to work with and have helped us more than words can express. So thank you for being a light in a dark world, for we definitely need more light as the darkness seems to become more of the battlefield that we have to deal with. I invite you now to pause with me just for a moment of silence before we begin listening to what God may teach us through his son, Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Open our eyes now to see marvelous things out of your word. Through Christ we pray. Amen. It fell off. His sandal fell off as he tried to get on the moving train. Gandhi's sandal fell off. There was no way to retrieve it. You see, in India, in the time in which Gandhi was living, if you were a white person, the train would stop for you. But if you were a native Indian, the train only slowed down for you to get on. And when Gandhi and his crew tried to get on to go to a place to speak, his sandal fell off his foot. Quick as a flash, the Mahatma did the unusual, something maybe we would not have done, but something that he did. He took his other sandal off and threw it as close to the other one as he could. Those who were with him watched in silence, and then after a few moments, they asked the inevitable question. Mahatma, why did you do that? Listen to the response of Gandhi. The poor man, he said to his crew, the poor man who does not have a pair of sandals, will now have a pair he can use. Now I want to ask you a question this morning that I hope over the next few minutes we will ponder together. Are you a one or two sandal Christian? Another man who wore sandals, who probably would have done the same thing, teaches us how to be a two sandal Christian in this passage that Jared just read. Now, to understand what happens here with washing of feet, we've got to go a week before this event happened and walk with the disciples and Jesus toward Jerusalem. And there is a conversation going on amongst them all. And the question is this, who is going to be the greatest? You see, they were on their way and they thought the kingdom of God was going to show up. 
And they had in mind a political kingdom. They didn't know that it was a kingdom of the heart, a kingdom of the soul. But the big question in their mind was, who will sit on the left hand of King Jesus and who will sit on the right hand of King Jesus? And Jesus has to say to them, true greatness isn't defined that way. What's it look like to be number one? How do you define winners and losers? And Jesus, at Passover, defines greatness and what it means to be number one and what it means to be a winner. He does two things that are wordless lessons for anyone here today who'd like to learn how to be a two-sandal Christian, how to be a great Christian. The first thing that he does is he takes off his outer robe. And he lays it over to the side. In order for Jesus to do the dirty work, he had to take off the outer robe of pride. You see, he's been waiting for the disciples to wash the feet, and not a single one of them will take off their outer robe of pride. It prevents them from becoming great. It can prevent us too. When I say the word, uh, the name Muhammad Ali, what phrase comes to your mind? If you're of my age, you probably remember this phrase, I am the greatest. One day he was getting on a plane to go to a bout, and the pilot came over and said, ladies and gentlemen, we're about to get ready to coast and take flight. Please fasten your seatbelts. And everybody started to fasten their seatbelts, everybody except Muhammad Ali. And the waitress came by, the assistant came by, and said, uh, the stewardess came by and said, uh, Mr. Ali, we'd like you to fasten your seatbelt, please. We're about to take off. This is what Muhammad Ali said to her. Superman don't need no seatbelt. Quick as a flash, the stewardess replied with these words, Yes, Superman don't need no seatbelt, but Superman don't need no airplane either. <laughs> they tell me Muhammad Ali fastened his seatbelt. Was that a reality check or what? Do we need such a reality check ourselves? A great conductor of an orchestra was once asked this question. What's the hardest instrument in your orchestra to play? You know what he responded with? Second violin. He said they are lining up to play first violin with me. But very few line up 
to play second violin. But he went on to say, I need second violinists because the second violin provides the harmony. We are in a better place today because Michelangelo did not say, I don't do ceilings. Amen? And we are in a far better place today because Noah didn't say, I don't do animals. And we are in a far better place today because Ruth didn't say, I don't do mother-in-laws. Or Peter saying, I don't do Gentiles. Or Mary, I don't do virgin births. Now, what does it take, church, for us to start looking like Jesus, acting like Jesus, sounding like Jesus? This week, you may just need to take off that outer robe of pride and lay it aside. And then feet can be washed. Now that's the first lesson. And I'm going to leave my coat off so you'll remember it. The second wordless lesson that Jesus gave to his disciples in true greatness was the fact that he then took a towel and he wrapped it around his waist and he took a basin, he filled it with water and he began to wash feet. He saw a need and he met it. Little Hannah was seven years old when her mother took her to the homeless shelter to provide a meal for some people. And what she saw changed her life She saw an elderly homeless man who in the middle of November as it was getting cold in the northern part of our country had no socks on. And Hannah couldn't let go of that. All through the evening, Mommy, he doesn't have socks. I know, sweetheart. Mommy, can I give him mine? (laughs) No, honey, yours are too small. Finally, before they left, Mommy, can we go by Kmart and pick up some socks for that man? And sure enough, that's what they did. And in a little bit of time, Hannah herself put new warm socks on a homeless man's dirty feet. Because she did that today... A ministry of providing socks for the homeless is called Hannah's Socks. She saw a need. And like Jesus, she simply met it. When I was pastoring in the eastern part of the state, we had a gentleman in our church in Carter County named Charlie. Charlie would take the church bus and pick up kids for church. And then, because he heard grumbling in the stomach and knew that they probably hadn't even had breakfast till they got to church and might not have lunch 
because of the impoverished condition of the parents. Charlie would take the bus through McDonald's drive-thru or Taco Bell. He heard a need and the rumbling of a tummy and he decided to meet it. What might happen at Danville Centenary What might happen in Danville? What might happen in the state of Kentucky or the United States of America if we saw a need this week and we decided to do something about it? Maybe this would happen. I take you back to the Depression era to Birmingham, Alabama, to a little boy trying to sell newspapers without socks or shoes on, standing on a grill in front of a store, trying to let some of that heat warm him up as he tried to sell his newspaper. And a woman walked by, just happened to be a minister's wife, and saw that boy without shoes or socks. Young man, she said, Where are your shoes? I ain't got no shoes, he said, in true southern. That was all she needed to hear. She took him by the hand, she marched him into the store, and she bought that young man at great sacrifice, I might add. Remember, it's the Depression era. At great sacrifice to herself a new pair of shoes. The boy was so elated, so ecstatic, he just ran right out without saying thank you. And then when the cold hit his face, he remembered and he walked back in and said to that woman, Ma'am, I forgot to thank you. Thank you for my new pair of shoes. And then he paused. And he looked at her and he asked her this question. Ma'am, he said, are you God's wife? And she was taken back. Wouldn't you be? How do you respond to a question like that? Are you God's wife? And she said, well, no, sweetheart, but I am a child of his. To which this young man said, Well, I knew you must be some kin to him. What this week might happen in our marriages, in our families. What this week might happen at our place of work or when we volunteer in our community. What just might happen if we were God's wife? And if we can't be His wife, a child of His, and if we can't be His child, at least some kin to Him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and all of God's people said together, Amen.